May God is here. Thank you, God. I need that as much as y'all probably need it too. What a powerful morning, huh? Yeah. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. Well, Lord, here we are. Here we are, God. Here we are, Lord. Would you speak? God, would you take my feeble words? Would you speak to us? Would you speak to us, God? We don't deserve it, but Lord, would you do it out of your kindness? Would you speak to us, Lord? Would we love your word? We love you, Jesus. We thank you that you've given it freely to us. And Lord, we ask that you would, you would speak to us through it in a way that stirs our hearts to more. We love you in this place, Jesus. We fixate ourselves on you. And we ask that all we do say and think would be, bring glory to your wonderful name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Okay, so we have been talking about fighting for the last couple of weeks, right? And uh, it's been good for me. It's just been, it's been like a real good sort of micro-series of just preachy preaching. And I like that. That's good. Uh, we're going to finish that up today. We're going to talk about fighting for the kingdom in our lives uh, one more time, and then we'll move on to whatever the Lord is saying next. Uh, but did you know that we're in a fight? We're in a fight. You're called to fight. This week I want to talk about the end is the beginning. <laughs> did you know that as a reborn follower of Christ, for you... The end is the beginning. How do you think the disciples felt when they watched Jesus' limp body be moved from the cross of Calvary and put into a tomb? Pretty bad, I assume, right? I mean, they grieved, they did their stuff, they, they mourned, and most everybody agreed this is the end of Jesus of Nazareth. Right? Little did they know, three days later, that end would actually become the beginning for all of eternity. <laughs> right? And as Christians, when we think we've met our end, we've actually begun to recognize the beginning of what God is doing in us. Man, we are a peculiar people. We are people who meet the end and get hopeful because every end is a new beginning. Come on. Every time I hit a wall, every time I get to a place where I can go no further, I know because I'm in Christ, this is only the beginning. Are you in a hard place right now? Have you met a place where you can't do anything but just wonder, God, where are you? Well, beloved, it's only the beginning. <laughs> it's good news. Does that get you excited? <laughs> we get to have hope in the midst of despair. When there's chaos happening around us, we get to cling on a hope that will not fail us. One million, two billion, three billion years from now, when the earth passes, 
He will remain, and we will be with him. Amen. Did you have a rough year? <laughs> Check one billion years from now. See how you feel. <laughs> you know, actually, we've been in this building for one year. Did you know that? Tina sent a little texting to remind me. And it was not an easy year. I don't think anybody here would say it was. We all thought like 2020 was the crescendo of suffering. And then we would move into the bliss of 2021. Not so much. <laughs> but it's only the beginning. And it's only going to get better. <laughs> Doesn't mean it's going to get easy, but it's going to get better. Right? It only gets better in Jesus. Huh. It only gets better in Jesus. It only gets better. So when I lose, I don't lose. I actually win because it only gets better in Jesus. Go to the Gospel of John. Chapter 2. So I want, I want to talk about fighting from the end. That's what I want to do today. And just fight. I just want to preach. Is that okay? I don't think you guys have a choice. No, I'm just going to preach. <laughs> Gospel of John, chapter 2, verse 1. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. Do you, like, <laughs> you think that when they invited Jesus, they really knew what was happening? Like, they were, the mom was sending out the wedding invitations, like, should we invite Jesus? I don't know. They're just carpenters. <laughs> oh, it's funny it says that. Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him they had no more wine. Verse 4, dear woman, woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stones. Six stone water jars used for Jew Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servant followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though, of course, the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then, when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. It should say in parentheses, just for that moment, because we all know they're like roller coaster of emotions through the Gospels. Okay. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. So, they're at a party. They got the invite. People inviting them had no idea who they were inviting. They just invited them. They get there, and the party's going great. And I'm assuming people get a little bit liberal in their wine consumption. And what happens? Lo and behold, they run out. Mm. Now, what would you do if you ran out of wine at your wedding celebration. You would just go get more wine, right? 
makes sense. Just go down to a vineyard, find a winemaker, ask them, tell them the situation. Surely somebody in all of Galilee is going to have some extra wine for you to partake in party celebrations. Right? That makes sense. It seems normal. But Mary, I don't really know where Mary gets this. Mary realizes they've come to a dead end. The party is about to go to Bummertown real quick. And they need more party juice. And she says to Jesus, we're out of wine. And what does Jesus say? It's not my problem. Or excuse me. It's not our problem. And then what does Mary do? She says to the servants, it's now Jesus' problem. Do whatever he tells you to do. You know, and it's kind of like she told him what to do, but she didn't tell him what to do. She just got out of his way. You see what I'm saying? They came to an impasse, a dead end, and they had two options, or actually three. Just hydrate the rest of the wedding. No more wine, everybody just drink water. Go out and find some wine from somebody else, see if anybody can lend us some wine. Or three, let's see God do something no man can do on their own. And she chose option three. So she yields herself and she submits herself, all of her authority and all of her resources to Jesus. Then Jesus takes the end and makes it better than anything they could have hoped for. Pretty neat, right? Do you know, when you get to a place where you can go no further, God is like, perfect. Now I can do what I want to do. You know, sometimes we hit the wall and we think, oh no, I didn't hear God right. I don't, I'm not doing the right thing. I'm not going the right way. And God goes, no, 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 no. This is me. But you still are making this your problem. When you're ready to make it my problem, that's when I'll step in and I'll do something new. But it won't be something you understand and it won't be something you can produce on your own. It'll be something of me. Make it my problem. See, Jesus says it's not our problem, not because he's dismissing her, but because they're probably still trying to figure out a solution apart from just handing it over to him. So Mary yields. She gives Jesus everything she has, which is really not much. It's just a bunch of water. And Jesus births out of that something better than anything they could have hoped for. Remember, they give it to the Master of Ceremonies. The Master of Ceremonies says, this is not usual. Usually we get people pretty loosened up, and then we bring them the good stuff. You flip-flopped it. What's going on? See, nobody knew where it came from. But in the kingdom, the best is always yet to come. When you hit a dead end, the best is always yet to come. When it feels like there's no other option, when it feels like you've come to the end of your resource, that's when Jesus says, are you ready to make it my problem? Because the best is yet to come. See, this is the kingdom. God puts us, puts us in places where we can go no further in our own strength. Not because he's 
just tired of your stupidity because he's ready to step in when you're ready to let go. It's not our problem yet. Mary says, well, now it is. Whatever he says, do it. Get out of his way. Allow him to be God. Let's yield ourselves to the Lord. We've come this far, but now we can go no further. Jesus, we yield ourselves and submit ourselves to what you want to do, despite our best efforts. So, Jesus does. You know, it's not really easy for God to do the impossible in your life when you keep getting in the way with the possible. <laughs> if you keep turning to things you know, how, how's God going to do something that you don't know? Right? If you want God to do impossible things in your life, you have to go to places where your options are no longer possible. So, coming to the end of yourself is the best way to be in Jesus. Amen? Yeah. Amen. The place where you can go no further is the place that God can change the direction. In the kingdom, fighting is not doing what you know. It's yielding to what he's doing. Okay? In the kingdom, fighting is not just constantly doing the same thing over and over that you know to do. It's coming to the place where you go, God, this is not working. I need to adjust myself, change directions, and do what you're doing. So again, Mary didn't tell Jesus what to do. She submitted to what he could do. Amen? Okay. Go to Matthew 17. Verse 14. This is right after we talked about the transfiguration last week. This is right after that. They're at the base of the mountain now. At the foot of the mountain, a large crowd was waiting for them. A man came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. So I brought him here to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. Verse 17, Jesus says, you faithless and corrupt people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Then Jesus rebuked the demon and the boy, and it left him. From that moment, the boy was well. Verse 19, afterwards, the disciples asked Jesus privately, why couldn't we cast out that demon? You don't have enough faith, Jesus told them. I tell you the truth, if you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. How many of you have ever told a mountain to move and just like, let's just see? <laughs> I mean, he said, let's just see what will happen. Like, I started with like a pebble. Let's just see, Lord. <laughs> so, Jesus and, and, and the boys come down the mountain. A crowd's waiting for them. And uh, in that crowd is a father, a caring father, who says, have mercy on me. And then what does Jesus say? You faithless and corrupt people. <laughs> How much longer must I put up with you? It's kind of rough, right? Not very merciful, not very tender, meek and mild. But he says it, nonetheless. Now, 
How many of you know a lifestyle without faith always leads to sin? Did you know that? And if you try to live your life without living, being led by faith, eventually you will be deceived and be led by sin. Okay? Everybody understand that? When I live outside of faith, I'm lead, being led into sin. Always and forever. Okay? So Jesus sees the people, and he's not saying it because he dislikes them. He's saying it because he knows there's a day when they will be reborn. There'll be new creations. But until then, they're faithless. And faithlessness always leads to corruption. It always leads to what I can produce, never leads into what God can do. Amen? So, he says that really rough correction. Nobody probably knows what he's talking about. They're just like, I don't know. He, cured, he heals the boy. He casts the demon out of the, the little boy. And then the disciples are like, man, what in the world? Why did that not work? And what does Jesus say to him? Your, your little faith, your unbelief. Gosh. And then you read that and you're kind of like, what does that mean? Like, I don't have the right size gun. Like, I've got a 22. I need a 30 odd. Like, what, what does that mean? I mean? I'm not good enough. Is that. Well, it's important to understand that the word faith can also be translated to endurance. Okay? So when Jesus says faith, he also is saying endure. So he says, you of little faith. How long does the Bible say you're supposed to pray until you see what you're praying for happen? Until it happens. <laughs> right? So we know the disciples had faith because when the man brought them the boy... They prayed on their own accord, right? They all prayed. They, they were expecting they were going to cast the demon out. They only stopped praying when they didn't see the demon get cast out. So Jesus wasn't saying to them, it's, Jesus wasn't saying you didn't believe. Jesus was saying you didn't endure. You didn't keep pressing in. You gave up the fight because you saw a dead end and you thought you could go no further but keep your faith in the fight. <laughs> See, the disciples are like, no faith. I mean, we thought we were going to, you told us to do this. We did this. We thought we were going to get the result that usually happens when we do this. And Jesus says, it's because of your unbelief. The moment you stopped believing was the moment you stopped fighting. Have you seen what you're praying for yet? Then keep praying. Did Jesus ever tell you to relent? No. Mm -mm. You may have came to a dead end, and that's okay. It's all right to not know what to do next, but the only thing you need to know is to not quit. Come on. You guys get that? It's not about how, how many of you know that you can't create faith on your own. God gives faith. Right? He distributes measures of faith to whom he distributes faith to. So faith has nothing to do with you until you stop using it. 
See, you can't manipulate something he gave you. But you can disregard it. So he says to them, why did you stop praying for the boy? Did the demon come out? Mm -mm. Well, then you should have kept praying. Why did you stop praying for your relationships? Were they healed? No. Well, then why did you stop praying? Why did you stop praying over your finances? Are your finances restored? No. Well, then keep praying. See, whatever you're walking through, if you've not seen what God has told you you're going to see, then you need to keep walking. Whatever you're praying for, if you've not received what God told you to receive, if you've not received what God has told you to pray for, then you need to keep praying. Little faith has nothing to do with how much like spirituality you have. It's how you endure. Are you still pressing forward? Are you still moving in the faith that was bestowed to you? Amen. So Jesus is looking for faith that sustains and endures. Here's some things you'll probably never do in your lifetime. Okay, you ready for this list of things you'll never do? You'll never stop having conflict in your life. Conflict and confrontation will never stop. Okay? You're never going to be good enough. You're never going to be good enough. Me too. You're never going to get it right 100% at any time ever in your life. You'll get close. I usually get it like 99.9. You're never going to totally understand it. It's true. You'll never understand. You'll never have full revelation of everything. You'll never be capable on your own. So if you'll never be any of those things, then you may as well never give up the fight. Right? Those are givens. You're never going to be good enough. You're never going to get it right. You're never going to totally understand. So then why not just keep fighting? Why not just keep fighting? You know the people who do give up? It's the people who do think they have it right, and then they realize, oh, I didn't have it right. I must not have heard God's voice. I must have been wrong in what I thought he said. I'm just going to give up. No, keep pushing forward. Understanding that you're wrong is the beginning of being right. Keep moving forward. People who can't stomach or swallow not being right never grow. They don't. In order to be right, you have to understand that you're not yet right. In order to be saved, you have to understand that you're lost. In order to be healed, you have to seek a remedy that would heal your brokenness. It's just part of living. But don't give up. Don't stop. Okay, if we're willing to say to God, if we're willing to say God has called us to something, then we better be willing to see it all the way through. <laughs> if God said he's going to bring revival, I'm going to see it through. I don't care the cost. If that's what he said, then that's what I'm going to see. Okay, go to Matthew 8. This is where we'll close up. Verse 23. 
you guys uh, awake? Should we do like a stretching moment? <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, say don't stop fighting. Matthew 8, verse 23. So, here we are with the Jesus and the boys. They're in another predicament. Remember, Jesus tells them to go from one side of the lake to the other side of the lake. He tells them to get into a boat and that they're going to the other side of the lake. You guys remember this? Okay. Verse 23. Then Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly, a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. That rascal. The disciples went and woke him up, shouting, Lord, save us! We're going to drown! Jesus responded, Why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. The disciples were amazed. Who is this man? Remember in Cana when they were like, Oh, that's, this is the Messiah. And now they're like, Is this really the Messiah? <laughs> Disciples were amazed. Who is this man? They asked. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Okay, so guys, we're going to the other side of the lake. Get in the boat. They get in the boat. They start to go across. Jesus decides this is the perfect opportunity for a cat nap. He goes to sleep and a storm comes. Like, how does that happen? How do you go to sleep knowing a storm is coming? So he's asleep. And he doesn't even wake up from his catnap until the disciples go and awake him. That's like really deep sleeping, isn't it? Like you're so hard to sleep, this little boat is being thrown back and forth, and you're not waking up. Only when your, 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 your disciples come and shake you, that's when you're getting up, Jesus. Okay, we get it. So anyhow, they wake him up, and he says to them, Why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Why does he say, I, wouldn't you be afraid in the storm? I think I would. Would you? Like, seriously. How many of you have ever been in a small boat in a big storm at sea? How many of you have ever been in a storm just on the lake? It's terrifying. Isn't it? Like, your, your whole life is flashing before your eyes and you think, this is surely the day where I meet my maker. I'm going to be like a coral reef in a few minutes, down there at the bottom. It's scary. Why would he correct them for being afraid of being in a storm? Because he told them where they're going. Right? He told them to get in the boat because he knew they were going to the other side of the lake. He can't sleep unless he knows where the Father is sending him. But because he knows where the Father is sending him, he doesn't have to worry about a storm cropping up in the middle of it. So he sleeps. And the disciples wake him up and he goes, guys, why are you afraid? Don't you remember what I told you? We're going to the other side of the lake. Your faith has not endured. You've looked at the storm and forgot what we were called to. And the disciples, of course, like, wow, who is this guy? You see, when God gives you a word, you can trust that that word will be fulfilled regardless of what you're going through right now. In fact, 
When God gives me a word, I write it down. Do you know why? Because the next moment, honestly, the storm will come. The, the wall will come up. The thing that I don't understand, that I can't deal with, that I'm not capable to handle on my own, will present itself in front of me. And it's not time for me to jump out of the boat. It's not time for me to put the life rafts out to sea or try to row back to shore. I need to do what God told me to do, regardless of what I see around me. See, faith endures beyond what you see. Faith carries what God has given you from season to season. You faithless and corrupt generation. Lack of faith leads to disobedience. When you're not worried about where you're going, you're not worried about what's going on around you. Come on. When you understand where God is leading you, when you're carrying His Word in your heart, you're not afraid of the things that are confronting you. See, it'll never get easy. It'll never be just flat, smooth water. Storms are not uncommon. It's part of walking as a follower, as a reborn believer, you're going to have to fight. But you don't fight by rowing or crying or screaming. You fight by doing what God told you to do before you got into the boat. You know what? If you're not encountering pushback, you might be walking in the wrong direction. See, the devil is not worried about you being afraid. He's worried about you carrying what God put in your heart before he sent you out. See, Jesus has called us to something big. Big fish come with a lot of hot oil. It gets hot, doesn't it? It gets hard. But we don't worry about what we see in front of us. We worry about what he told us before we got the boat. We worry about where he was sending us before we ever pushed off into sea. It's normal to hit a wall. It's faith to keep going. I'm here to tell you today, I have little faith. But I'm not quitting. I'm here to tell you that it's hard, and I don't always get it, and I don't always want to keep moving forward. But I'm not quitting. Not quitting. And because I'm not going to quit, I'm not going to lose. Amen. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus, that you called us to fight. Thank you, Jesus, that you called us to fight. Even now, I, I just feel the Lord saying, I'm stirring up words I've spoken over you from seasons past that you left go of because you've hit walls. More. 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 
Lord, I thank you for those calls and for those words. Lord, would you stir them up even now? You of little faith, keep fighting. You of little faith, keep moving forward. Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? You see, it was normal in Hebrew culture for the cheap stuff to be given at the end. When the people of God refused to give up and keep moving forward, they transformed cultures. They make what's normal into that which is better. So Lord, put it in our hearts to keep fighting, to keep going forward. Put it in our hearts, God, to go from season to season, stewarding the words you put in us. Lord, we won't relent. We won't give up. I didn't, right now, I just hear the Lord saying, there's some of you who have given up because some man or